Let's say a prayer. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that your grace is greater than all our sin. We thank you that your work is greater than any work that we could ever do. And God, as we open your word today and as continue to explore getting along with others, may we be vessels of your grace that we could give grace to others. So God, may you remove me and may you speak in powerful ways this morning to each and one of our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So many of you know that uh, I'm originally from Wisconsin, born and raised in Wisconsin, and kind of how my family was structured growing up. My dad was a school teacher, worked about a block and a half away from where we lived, and my mom stayed home with the kids. So what that meant was during the summers, we had the whole summers off as a family, And at one point, my parents decided that we would go and serve at a Christian camp the whole summer. So for two and a half months, we'd travel up north and live at this camp and serve at this camp. One year, I remember, I lived in a tent the whole summer. I got kicked out of the motorhome into the tent, and there was a fire pit right outside my tent and a lake a stone's throw away. And it was, I think, a boy's dream, at least for me. It was a great time. Now, as time went on, one summer, me, along with some other people, made some poor decisions at the camp. And we were very kindly told that we could no longer come to the camp. And so I was told I couldn't come, and my parents took that as they could not come either. They had invested their life there. They had invested their summers there. They had so many deep relationships there. And because of something that I had done and others, they were told that they could no longer come come back. Now fast forward probably about five years from that that period, and I woke up one morning to find out that my brother had been killed in a car accident. And my life just kind of got rocked at that moment. This boy I grew up with now is gone. And you just kind of enter into the whole chaos and confusion of grieving and loss And I remember a week, week and a half later at the funeral of my brother, there was a gentleman from that camp that came up to me and nothing had changed in my life. I was not a good boy. I was getting myself in trouble. And he came right up to me and he said, Mark, I think it's time that you come back to camp. And there was nothing that I had done to deserve that. I didn't earn it. I hadn't proved myself that I had changed. But it was simply an invitation by grace to return. As we wrap up the series on can't we all just get along, we've talked about learning to listen and then using words and choosing words wisely. We talked about this dynamic of thoughtful engagement and now today we're going to talk about giving grace. We live in a culture currently, at least from my perspective, that isn't really good at giving grace. As you look around, you could, you've probably heard stories of something being drug up from somebody's past. And whether or not it had been dealt with, now it affects them and there's no grace. You might have heard of somebody being removed from a position because simply they made a wrong or uh, inappropriate comment on social media. If you think about felons who get out of jail, often they're told when they go and apply for jobs, we're sorry, you're not the kind of candidate we're looking for. And in so many areas, we can look around and see that there's a lack of grace in the world around us. Now, before we jump in 
a little deeper, I, I want to just put some caveats on there of what I'm not saying, and then we can just get into what I want to say. <laughs> so what I'm not saying is that we need to remove consequences for actions. No, actions have consequences, both good and bad. And I believe that if somebody commits a wrong, if somebody, somebody does something illegal, that there's consequences and justice should come. I'm not saying that we should excuse bad behavior. Or if you're in a situation where you're being abused or some other wrong is being done with you, done to you, I'm not telling you to remain in that situation and simply cry grace. What I am saying is that all of us do things wrong. All of us make mistakes. We say things that are inaccurate, unhelpful, or even destructive. And when we make those mistakes, do we both receive and give grace? Well, first, let's define grace. Grace is simply this, getting what you don't deserve. Getting what you don't deserve. We are completely undeserving of any good from God. Romans 6.23 puts it like this, for the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We deserve death, not a slap on the hand, not a timeout. We deserve death for all the wrong that we have done, but because of the grace of Jesus, he gives us forgiveness, new life, a restored relationship with him. Now, if God just simply said, I'm not going to kill you, that would be mercy because we deserve to die and mercy says you don't get what you deserve. But grace says you get what you don't deserve, which means that we don't only not get killed, but he gives us life and grace and forgiveness and restored relationship and the promise of eternal life. That is grace. I did not deserve to go back to that camp. But there was an invitation given by grace to invite me back in. And our lives, all of our lives, are products of grace. Everything you have is a gift. You might think you have earned it or deserve it, but really we don't. From your health to your family to your jobs, experiences, food, shelter, we are undeserving of all the good that we have in our lives. Unfortunately, we can walk around like we're entitled to all these things, entitled to all the blessings of God, entitled to all these good things, but really it's because of grace. Within the last two weeks, I've had the wonderful privilege of uh, shopping for a new-to-us vehicle. And so we just purchased a new-to-us van, and I was driving it the other day, and I just had this overwhelming sense of God's grace. That it's a very nice vehicle, and I could look at it and say, well, I've earned it, I deserve it. But I just had the sense from God that, wow, you have been so gracious to me. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 states it like this. What do you have that God has not given to you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Everything you have is a gift. Your life, your family, your job, your health, every penny you have is a gift from God. 
You might think you've earned it, but in reality, if God had not given you life and sustained your life, you would have absolutely nothing. It's all grace. And so how do we learn to give this grace to others? Well, first, we need to recognize that everyone needs grace, including you. Grace isn't just for somebody else. On our best days, we need grace. On our worst days, we need grace. You're not as good as you think you are, and you need grace. And you're not as bad as you think you are, and you still need grace. You're not as mean as you think you are, and you're, not, you're probably not as kind as you think you are, and you need grace. You're not as beautiful as you think you are, and you're probably not as ugly as you think you are, and all of us need grace. Everyone needs grace, including you. But often what we do is we compare ourselves to others. We think, well, that person is more beautiful than me or less beautiful. That person is more mean than me or that person is nicer than me. And we compare ourselves to others around us and we begin to eliminate the need for grace. It's kind of like this picture. Like we're a bunch of people playing in the mud and we start pointing at other people in the mud and say, well, look at that one. He or she is more muddy than me. Or look at that one. They're less muddy than me. But the reality is all of us are in the mud. All of us are covered with dirt. And easily we can try to position ourselves as better or worse than somebody else in the mud. And there's only one who stands outside of the mud and is without blemish, without sin, without issue. And his name is Jesus. And he is the only one who is perfect. And when we, we compare ourselves to perfection, we see the need for grace. The Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15, calls himself the chief of all sinners. He said, if there is a pyramid of sin and we go to try to find the worst sinner of them all, Paul said, I would be right on top. Paul recognized his need for grace. His need for God's grace. Maybe you might consider yourself a great person and not really in need of God's grace. Well, in James, he addresses that in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, 10 to 12. He says, For the person who keeps all the laws, except one, is guilty, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's law. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. Maybe you weren't out killing people this last week or being unfaithful to your spouse. What James is getting at here is that if you break one part of the law, you have shattered it all in our need of the grace of God. For some, we recognize that need more than others. And in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is invited into a religious leader's home. This religious leader, as you'll quickly see, didn't think that he needed grace. But then a woman with a bad reputation shows up who needed grace and recognized her need for grace. And in that moment, Jesus provided a teaching moment for somebody who thought they didn't need grace 
Check out this video. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town, who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Easily... Easily we can put ourselves in different people's positions in that story. I know all of us want to put ourselves in the position of Jesus as the one speaking truth into it. But in reality, we lean one or the other way. Either we lean towards the religious leader and think that we are better and not in need of grace. And that other people are worse than us. Or we lean like the sinful woman and say, I am in desperate need of the grace of God. It seems like only one walked away that morning 
recognizing their ultimate need for grace. And at the end of that that section, Jesus gives it a little principle, and he says, he who has been forgiven much loves much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. And I believe this is all about perspective. That if we believe that Jesus hasn't done much for us, our love for Jesus is not going to be much. But when we see the immensity of the forgiveness and grace of God in our lives, that will overflow into grace and love for other people. John Newton put it this way. When I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many people there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be to miss many people who I I did expect to see. And the third and greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there. Everyone needs grace, including you. Everyone needs grace, including you. And once we recognize that need for grace, we need to receive the grace into our lives. We might know about grace, but we need to receive it and internalize this grace. You might make excuses and think, you know, I've done too much. I've gone too far. God's grace isn't enough for me. And that's just not true. On our best day, we need the grace of God. And on our worst day, we need the grace of God. We are not just saved by grace. We are kept by grace. And we will be delivered fully into God's presence one day by grace. Romans 5.20 puts it like this. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Another translation says, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. That you can't out-sin God's grace. And if for some of you right now are like, ooh, I'm going to maybe attempt that. Just read the next chapter in Romans and that will redirect you. Romans chapter 6. But God's wonderful grace is bigger than any sin, anything that we've done. Even when you start thinking about, I've done something unforgivable. And some of you might right now might think, well, in Scripture it talks about the unforgivable sin, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Maybe I've done that. And God's grace isn't big enough for me. Well, let me put that sin in context. Jesus is doing miracles and incredible works of God, and the religious leaders say to him, you are doing the works of Satan. So what God was doing, they were attributing to Satan. And what I can tell you is if you do not believe in Jesus, there is no grace for you. If you do not believe in Jesus, there is no forgiveness outside of Jesus. And ultimately, what will send you to heaven or keep you out is belief in Jesus. And so by denying who Jesus is in your life, by saying no to Jesus is the only unforgivable sin, unbelief. Every other sin is forgivable. But if you say no to the forgiveness of God, no to the grace of God, of course there's no forgiveness in Jesus for you. But his grace is greater. His grace is more than anything that you have ever done. 
We need to receive the grace of God in our lives and allow that grace to transform us. And then next, don't be judgmental. Now you're probably saying, Mark, you're judging us right now. (laughs) Well, all of us have this tendency. All of us have our opinions. And there's a difference between having a judgmental, critical spirit and actually looking for the good in people. Just stop being judgmental. Now, is there a time for judgment? Yes. But that's when something is done wrong. Let the courts judge in certain ways. But if there's a horrendous act, a clear wrong done, yes, let's bring justice wherever necessary. In a few weeks, we are doing an event called Justice for Kids to help prevent children being sold into sex trafficking. And that is an injustice, and we want to speak into things like that. But what I'm talking about here is that critical, judgmental spirit of others. That we walk around and we are fault finders with those around us. Luke 6.37 says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will come all back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gifts will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over, and poured into your lap. The amount you give will, will determine the amount you get back. You think people are judgmental? Stop judging them, and that judgment will stop coming back to you. You think you got the corner on how life works and that all your opinions are the perfectly articulated ideas about life and everything else? Of course you're not going to have good conversations with people if you have that attitude. Whatever measure you give to others, it's going to come back poured into your lap. You feel like people are judging you? Maybe something's getting poured back into your lap. You feel like you're receiving grace and mercy again and again? Maybe it's because you're extending grace and mercy to others. A judgmental spirit sees faults in others and issues in others instead of the good in others. And there's so much good in others. Jesus continues on in Luke 6, verses 41 to 42, and he puts it like this. And why worry about the speck in a friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying, friend, let let, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. It's like walking up with something like this sticking out of your face and somebody else has a speck in your eye and you're like, let let me help you with that. But so easily we can get into that mindset. So easily we can give grace to ourselves and put higher expectations on others than we even put on ourselves. So easy we can judge others and be critical of others and in the same way we just say, well, grace for me. It's easy to be fault finders and grace givers to ourselves. But when we begin to take a hard look at ourselves and we take a hard look in the mirror, you're going to very quickly identify your own need for grace. 
you're going to see that log growing. And by the time you deal with all the issues and situations in your own life, you're going to look at your friends and coworkers and say, wow, that is a speck compared to what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my life. And it says deal with it. Deal with the things in your own life. Be hard on yourself in that way. And then be able to speak into others' lives. But I believe when we begin to speak into others' lives, when we see our incredible need for grace, we aren't going to speak in judgmental tones. We are going to speak in grace-filled tones. We are going to be people who learn to give grace to others. The only way that we can give supernatural grace to others is if we have received the supernatural grace of God in our lives. Grace transforms you. And when grace transforms you, it transforms those around you. So I simply ask you, have you received the grace of God in your life? Have you said yes to Jesus in your life? Have you experienced that grace for yourself? Because when you are a grace-filled person, naturally that grace will overflow into other people's lives around you. Grace-filled people give grace. Grace-filled people give grace. If you have a problem giving grace to others, become a grace-filled person because then it will be much easier to give grace. Bob Goff, a pretty well-known writer, wrote a couple of books. One of his books is called Love Does. It's a great book. And he's on Twitter and all sorts of things. And somebody asked him, Bob, how do you deal with difficult people? And in that moment, he said, well, when I go on my Twitter account and I see people posting negative comments about whatever I say, what I'll do is I'll click on their profile and go and see and learn a little bit more about them. And just take that time to get to know somebody, just for a moment on social media. And if I really don't like what they have to say, then I'll block them and cut them off. But even being willing to take that time to try to understand and give grace. I know there's also other times that he has made friends out of enemies by simply exercising grace and saying, let's have a conversation. Let's open up the door to God's grace. When I finally returned to that camp that I was kicked out of, it was a different camp for me. Because I knew that I was there on that property only because of grace. I had not deserved it. I had not earned it. It was simply the grace of God. And that attitude of grace being given to me overflowed into those around me. I wanted to give that grace away because I had received it. And as we receive the grace of God in our lives and recognize our deep need for God's grace, we will become more gracious people to those around us. And even when we disagree with people, when we speak things that are not in sync with other people, we can do it with grace. I'm not telling you to not have a voice. I'm just telling you to have a voice that is filled 
with grace. My hope for all of us that we would recognize that we need the grace of God, receive that grace, stop being judgmental and give that to others. For some of us, maybe you have never received the grace of Jesus in your life. That you have never said yes to Jesus for the first time. And saying yes to Jesus does not mean that all your questions are answered, that all your fears and doubts are gone. What it means is that you recognize that you need the grace of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and have never said yes to Jesus, and you'd like to do that this morning, I'd simply ask you to raise your hand and say, I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. For you who are here who have said yes to Jesus, oftentimes we can compartmentalize grace to that's what we're saved by. And we can begin to move on and think, well, I don't really need grace. That was for salvation. No, grace is how you came in the door. Grace is how you're kept in the door. And grace is how you're going to get there one day. And we need the grace of God throughout our whole life, not just for salvation. Amen? And my hope is that if somewhere your well of grace has dried up, that you go back to that well that is only found in Jesus and say, God, make me a fresh and new, a grace-filled person. That I could both receive your grace and then give that grace to others. Father God, you are a gracious God. And your grace is greater than all our sin, all our stumbling, all that we've done. And God, may we recognize the incredible, immeasurable grace of God that has been demonstrated to us that in turn we could give that grace to others. Father, may we be people who walk around with your grace radiating from our lives. That when we encounter people that are even difficult to get along with, that we'd say, I am going to be grace-filled in my interactions. Amen.